the customer service expert dishes on what's changed and what will never change in retail. Next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. For nearly 40 years, Shep Hayden has worked with companies around the world to build more loyal relationships with customers and better employees. A best-selling author and a megastar in the presentation circuit, Shep has an amazing ability to tailor real-world truths to the people he's working with on any given day. I want to talk to Shep about good customer service and how it's changed in the age of a pandemic. Shep, I, I want to talk about customer service and how it's changed in 2020, but let's take a step back first. What comes to mind about what good customer service is that hasn't changed in the 37 years you've, you've been observing it? Yeah, I'll go a step further and think that it hasn't changed like in forever. And uh, one of the things I like to, to talk about is how customer service has not changed at all, even in this COVID environment that we're in. Because the basics are customer has an issue, a problem, they want it resolved, they got a question they want answered, that's the beginning, and at the end, they're happy. And that hasn't changed. That's what companies still want to happen, that's the way it works. What has changed is what's in the middle. There's many different ways to skin this cat now. You can call, you can text, you can email, you can talk to a bot, not even a person. There's so many different ways to get to that happy place. But the basics are always there. Customer has that question or problem and they want it resolved and they want to be happy when it's over. It's just that, yeah, as you said, the uh, ability to make sure they're happy has to happen in a different format than seeing a customer smile and be satisfied when they're face-to-face with you. Well, I have this question later, but I'm going to ask it out now. There was a furniture company here in the Northwest called Levitz, and they had their tagline. Oh, yeah. I know Levitz. Yeah. They had their tagline is the customer is always right. And I always thought that was not right because the customer could say, hey, that $1,000 couch, you're going to sell it to me for $100. That does not make the customer right. But I would tell people the customer isn't always right, but the customer is always the customer. Exactly. Oh, so I was right. That's good. <laughs> yeah. They're not always right. So let them be wrong with dignity and respect. Absolutely. One of the things you talk about uh, is you call yourself a customer service and customer experience expert. Talk to the difference of what customer service is and what customer experience is. So customer service is, I, I have a whole philosophy about what service is, but people think of customer service as a group of people that manage complaints, issues, questions. I'll go a step further and say customer service is anything where you have interaction with the customer and you have an opportunity to create a positive experience for them, regardless of whether it's a support issue. It could be during the sales process. It could be, you know, somebody, you know, for whatever reason interacts with you. That is part of the service experience. Experience by itself. And by the way, years ago, somebody smart said, let's stop calling it customer service. Let's make it fancier and call it 
experience. And, and really, that's all it was, was a fancy word for service. But then they, they took it a step further, and people have recognized experience is more than just service. Experience is everything the customer experiences when they do business with you. They go on a website. How intuitive is it? How easy is it? I ship you a product. It shows up, and it's neatly packed in a box. Think about the experience you have when you go and open up a really cool box of electronics of some kind. And it's like, wow, this is really cool. Well, that's definitely not customer service, but that's part of the overall experience. So one thing I saw from, I think, one of your talks or you see on the site is that you say your customers are no longer compare you to your competitor. They compare you to the best service they ever had from anyone. So one question is, why did that change? And when approximately do you feel that changed? Wow. Well, let's go back to probably the 1980s, late 80s, when the Malcolm Baldridge Award came about. Now, many people don't know what that is, but that was an award that was given to companies who excelled in quality. It was the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award. You filled out an application, which took a long time. I'm going to say 60% plus was about the customer experience. How did the customer react? How did you take care of them? And the point of that was the winners were companies like Cadillac, Ritz-Carlton, Federal Express, now FedEx. These companies were very proud of that, and they started to advertise, hey, we won this great award, which basically says, come and check it out, because now you're going to see what great service and a great experience really is, right? So let's cut to years later when there's the J.D. Power Award, and you, if you watch TV advertisements, you'll see certain Companies will put up, you know, we were the winner of the 2020 J.D. Power Award for Excellence. Very, very proud of that. So basically what's happening is that companies are promising a great experience. And many of them, by the way, are delivering it. But these companies that are the rock stars that are winning the awards, they're setting the bar higher because they're promising a great experience. Customer gets the experience. And now the customer is starting to expect it from others because Many companies are doing a good job. So you're no longer compared to just your competitor. If you love doing business with, with Microsoft, with Amazon, whomever, and you think they're the greatest company, the next time you go to do business with another company, you're going to go, why can't that person or why can't that company be as great as the experience I get over at Microsoft? And I think that's where you get the game changes. I remember years ago when we bought a car and we went to Saturn because Saturn was trying to disrupt the what they saw as the car sales sleaziness that a lot of people saw with that, that they, you know, they had their one price and all that. And I remember walking away from that experience thinking, why can't all large ticket items be like that? Exactly. Yeah. Why can't all car dealerships be like that where you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of, where you don't feel like, well, do I keep pressing them for a better deal? You know, that's the worst is that, you know, if you sit across from that salesperson's desk for every five minutes, they drop another hundred dollars. You know, how, how long do I have to stay here before the car gets down to the price that I originally wanted to pay, which they're going to give me. Okay. <laughs> but when you walked into Saturn at that time, that was the price. That was it. You know, I was involved in a car dealership, used car dealership, and we had a really cool system. And that way there was no haggling. It was a great system. Basically, we found out how much the customer could afford. And then we assigned them a color. There were like five different colors. There was green, red, yellow, blue, whatever. 
And we said, see this, this is your color. Go out there and you can look at all the cars that have that colored dot on the windshield. That you can choose any one of those cars. No extra charge, whatever it is in that color, that's the car you're going to get. I like that a lot. That's cool. Yeah. So we had several hundred cars on the lot and there might be, you know, 30 or 40 of each color, all different brands, all different manufacturers. And, and you got to choose whatever color you could afford. That's almost in somehow, I know some, uh, when I go to rent a car back in the day where I rented a car at an airport, they would, you know, some places you're assigned a car and other places it's like, you go to that area and grab any car you want, which was like freeing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, some excitement in, in that as I was, you know, pulling along three uh, small kids at the same time. Right. Customer services, a couple different ways. A lot of people are, have already been online with customer services, say bots, online phone calls. And then there's other folks that have been doing the face-to-face reactions. I want, I want to concentrate on face-to-face for a moment and talk about what you've discovered or what stories you've heard as most stores started shuttering down and folks that were almost always face-to-face with a customer were now starting to work remotely. Uh, what was that like for some of those companies? Some of these companies had no idea this would ever happen. Nobody planned for the pandemic. Nobody planned for the shutdown. Let's talk about retail for just a moment because today, if you walk into the mall, there's signs that say only certain number of people allowed in the store. There's all these new guidelines and processes that different stores have trying to keep their customers safe. So just today, there was an article that came out. It was in the UK. I don't need to tell you the brand name, but they're a very high-end retail clothing store. And they said, we were never online before, and we're still not going to be online. It's over. We're not doing online. Don't even ask us. If you want your clothes, you got to come to our store. Well, that's not very prudent today because it's one thing to hold out when everybody else does one thing, you zig, they zag, whatever you want to call it. But we're in a pandemic. We're in a place where this is the way of doing business for everyone. Now, Companies are finding that as their employees, especially in the B2B world, employees are going home and working remotely. Customer service reps are going home and working remotely, although many service reps were already there. The productivity went up pretty high. They found that they were getting good productivity out of everybody. And as a matter of fact, in the beginning, they were even getting a higher level of productivity. But in the past few months, that productivity has dropped a little bit. People are becoming more comfortable. And I believe it's it's kind of like uh, the athlete that doesn't feel 100% and tries to overcompensate for lack of, you know, maybe they have a cold or the flu that day. So they try really hard and they play a great game and they're just very hyper-focused on their game. The same thing is happening here, I believe, or did happen, where people went home, uh, they were trying to figure out their ways, they didn't want to make any mistakes. Now that they're there and they're comfortable, Life seems to be coming back to somewhat normal, even though this is a different normal than they're used to, but it is their normal and it's business as usual. I'm not saying that's bad or good. And I think one of the big issues people are dealing with who do work remotely coming from an office environment is, well, I used to be able to go to my colleague and ask a question or, or, ha- or go to my manager's office. I can't do that anymore. So there needs to be powerful communication tools, some of which companies like you create for us. (laughs) And those communication tools are allowing us to be almost seamlessly connected 
to all the people we were connected before in a brick and mortar environment. Do uh, customer service people that were in call centers that are now doing this from home, is it like the rest of us that the reason that they may miss the call center is just that camaraderie, that community? I think there's a lot to that. So what some companies are doing, and I'd say not some, pretty much every company is doing a regular routine daily phone call. I say daily. Some don't do it daily. Big mistake. Some are doing it twice a day, the beginning and at the end. Some are doing it three times a day. There's one in the middle. I opted when we had to all go remote and we shut down. Now, we're a B2B business. Even though we're non-essential, we were allowed to open back up again. But prior to that, when we were all working remotely, we assigned somebody a new position. It was the HR director. And that was for humor resource, not human resource. (laughs) And we decided it would be really nice because everybody was a little concerned and stressed out and trying to figure out how to make things work at home that once a day, and we always did it at lunchtime, we did our daily check-in, and then we had, uh, her job was to show a video on YouTube, share a screen, and find something really funny to show us on YouTube. And we had a little laugh, and it was a great way of keeping the camaraderie going. But I think important to stay in communication, and today with the technologies that are out there, the video conferencing technologies, it's very easy to feel connected even when you're apart. Have you worked with companies that are trying to simulate that in-person experience while being working remotely? Well, they don't have a choice anymore, do they? So many of my clients try to simulate the experience of being in person because a big chunk of what I do is show up at a conference with a thousand people and get on stage and speak and everybody's sitting together in the audience. That stopped mid-March. I think there's been a few conferences that have continued, but Most of them have been canceled that I think a good majority of them are canceling for early next year. So what do these companies do? They decide to create a remote event. I've done virtual events where I've done webinars or fireside chats and that type of thing for years, maybe 15 of those a year. Well, now I'm doing 15 a month. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing 15 a week. But, you know, before I'm doing 40 to 50 main stage speeches, I think those will come back one day. But what companies are trying to do now is give you an experience similar to showing up at the event. Now, nothing's going to take the place of the networking in the halls and the ability to go to dinner and meet colleagues or meet vendors and learn about their business. You know, in person, it's not going to be the same, but we're doing a really good job. Uh, There's breakout rooms you can go to. There's, you know, the interactive videos, the chats allow us to, you know, look at what people are thinking by the questions they type in. So it's really a good experience. Just yesterday, I had an experience where there were 25 people in the room, so to speak, remotely, and I was the main speaker. And I was sitting at my desk, and I actually do presentations remotely or virtual two different ways. I have a studio, I stand up and present as if I'm on stage, or I sit in front of my computer and do what typically people do on on these types of video calls. They sit and they talk. But what was really cool is I got to see all 25 people And I said, if anybody's a question, just raise your hand. And I'm looking at the whole screen and people are raising their hands. I believe that last night's or or it was late yesterday afternoon, that presentation was every bit as strong as if I was in person. But once the presentation was over, well, then we can't go hang out and network and, you know, go down to the restaurant and have a bite to eat together. Talking about, as you said, you've you've ramped up so much in, in online presenting. When you started off doing that, presenting online, what are some of the biggest things that helped you 
kind of break that wall or, or just make a really good presentation? Number one, I'd been doing this for years, but it was very, you know, basic. It was your webinar, as I mentioned, the fireside chat. But what happened, right when when it when went into this mode and I saw all my speeches being canceled, I said, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, I started looking what others were doing. I think uh, B&H Photo, which is a uh, uh, electronics, you know, camera, video, audio equipment up in New York. I've been there in person. It's an unbelievable store. They became my best friend. I became a good customer. I bought new cameras, microphones, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to make my studio bigger and better. And then what I did, and this is important for anybody that's going to try something new. We test, we test, we test some more. And how did I do it? I called my clients that I'd worked for in the last year and the ones that I was getting ready to work for that were canceling. And I said, guys, here's what I'm going to do for you over the next four to six weeks. I'm going to do two or three of these a day. If you want me to do a 25, 30 minute presentation for you, I want to do it at no charge. Two reasons. One, your people need to hear from me more than ever before. We need to get some optimism and they need to hear from an outside person, not just the inside leadership. Number two, I want to get really, really good at this. <laughs> and the only way to do it is to practice. And uh, you know what? You don't have to pay me a fee. And by the way, my worst day was still pretty good. I was trying new things. I have a box. It's right next to me. You can't see it because we're on audio, but it's called the uh, Black Magic ATIM MIDI. And when I'm in front of a camera, rather than share my screen, I push a button. My slides pop up over my shoulder. So I don't ever have to go off screen or, or become a little tiny thumbnail. If I want, I could push another button and it'll blow the slide up to an entire screen. And then I could push another button, bring it back to where I'm the main focal point. And my clients are going, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, today that's becoming table stakes. You've got to create a good presentation. People are getting, you know, video fatigue by watching, you know, the screen all of the time. And we need to do what we can do to create a better experience. And that's one of them, manage the visuals. One of the things that you show on your site and that we see all the time now is we can do something live or we can do something pre-recorded. And that's, an, uh, that's one side of the argument. I have this pet peeve of this pre-recorded segment that's trying to come off as live and it just doesn't feel right. I'm trying to see if there's a way to try to figure out how to make something more authentic or how does one make a pre-recorded come off not as stagnant? Great question. So we offer our virtual events different ways. I can do the traditional webinar, which is slides and me talking for 20 or 30 minutes. Boring. Yeah, I call that the traditional presentation, which I try to make better with the equipment that I just shared with you. Second thing, fireside chat. That's an interview. Uh, the third thing is we can pre-record events or speeches. And what's nice about that, and we make no mistake about it, I, I don't try to ever come across as if it's live. However, it is tailored and it is customized. So if I'm doing a meeting for your organization, it's going to be all about you. It's the same speech that I would deliver from on stage. But the difference is if I pre-record it, I can add in my visuals. I can make it B-roll, meaning there's video that's playing. So I can, it's not just static slides. I can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story. Let's cut to a speech that I did about a year ago because this story is the perfect example. And I show a video that's two minutes long in the middle of my presentation. If you think about it, Steven Spielberg spends millions of dollars on a 30-second special effect. And I'm going to be in front of this audience for 20, 30, 40 minutes 
basically a talking head. I better do something to make it visually interesting. <laughs> At least that's my take on it. But to your point, if I'm going to do a pre-recorded presentation, uh, number one, a lot of clients are asking for it because it guarantees that there won't be any static or problems on my end. And it's all up to them. They just push a button, it goes. But I like to be there at the end of the presentation to answer any questions. So I shoot from a studio. So my background stays the same. I wear the same clothes. And we come back live. It's seamless. And we're not trying to fake anybody out, but we're trying to create an experience that's comfortable for them. I like that. So you're ramping up, even though you can shoot something that it was the same tools to be pre-recorded versus live, you're using that time to put in more production value so it comes off smoother, more interesting, uh, which I I think that's that's the key, which a lot of people are just, you know, right. I always say just because you can hit the record button doesn't mean, you know, it should be kept forever and that that's what you need. So again, that that extra care and production value is needed. What about just customer service in general? I always felt, you know, there's there's a countries in the world where you have to do mandatory military service or, or some sort of service for your company. I always contended that another thing that people should do is, is have to be in some sort of customer service area where they're across from the customer. It could be a restaurant. It could be uh, some form of retail. Uh, what can good customer service make us better people in how we interact with people outside of a store or retail environment? Where I thought you were going was maybe a different direction, but let's address what I thought because the first part of that is like mandatory military. I thought mandatory time in the support center, mandatory time on the front line. So it was way back in the late 1980s. I wrote my first book, Moments of Magic. And in that book, I used Anheuser-Busch, the beer company, Budweiser, as an example, because they required their leadership team once a quarter to go out and spend a day with the salesperson Maybe they went to grocery stores one day. Maybe they went to uh, bars. Maybe they went to convenience stores. Maybe they went to restaurants. But they had to go see what was going on in the real world instead of in the, you know, in the top floor of their cushy offices overlooking the real world. And I always thought, wow, that's really cool. So then there was another company that I had worked with. That be- they, they became pretty successful pretty quickly and within probably about two years grew from two people to about, oh, just under 200, maybe about 180 or so when I was there. And they said the way it started out was we did we each took on customer service. We said there were two people. When the phone rings, you answer for the first half of the day. I'll answer for the second half of the day. And as they added people on, they added the third person. Now they got to break it up into thirds and then to force. And then they realized after they had enough people, they were starting you know to where it was now once a week for a couple hours. But they never stopped. All 180 some odd people still to this day have to spend every month a certain amount of time on the front line in the support center, listening to phone calls, being a part of that so that they know exactly what's going on. And I just love that. I don't know if that's where you were going, but that's where I thought you were headed. You know, that type of service is done occasionally, but to have that consistent and companies, and I'll, I'll, you know, I usually don't talk about Microsoft in this podcast, but that's one thing they're trying to do is make sure there's ample opportunity for folks can easily get in front of customers, be it on online for um, surveys or just listening into customer service or answering the phone call when people call in. Uh, but let's, I want to talk to the second part of that question, though. Good customer service for somebody in a retail environment. 
How does that translate to just being better with people in general outside of retail? Well, I think that customer service is common sense. And from the standpoint of we're talking about, you know, people taking care of people. A long time ago, I was doing a speech. I was the closing speaker and I had 40 minutes to do my speech, maybe even a little bit longer. And people in front of me were going long. And the executive who hired me came up to me and said, you know, everybody's going long. We have to end on time. And I thought, okay. So I'm thinking I'll cut the speech down to 20 or 25 minutes. Well, by the time I got on, there was three minutes left. He says, you have to end on time. And I said, I've got an idea. So I walked up on stage and I talked uh, very briefly about how I only had three minutes. So what I want to do is, is just one point, and it's probably going to be considered the shortest customer service speech of all time. And that is simply this, two words, be nice. I started to walk off stage and then I turned back around. I go, really, that's it. Just be nice. And I think so much of customer service is common sense that's not so common. And it starts with just being nice and friendly to other people. The Ritz-Carlton, why do they do so well? It's because they're not over the top, blow me away all the time. So you go to the Ritz-Carlton, they're a little above average all of the time. And they're smiling at you. They're using your name. They're using the smallest soft skills, but they're using them consistently to enhance the experience. And that's what being nice is all about. So anybody can do that. When you start to think about what does it take to move from you know the business of customer service to the relationships you have at home. By the way, you know I always joke that if we treated our customers the way we treat our dogs, boy, the customers would love us. <laughs> oh yeah! You can lock your dog in the trunk of a car on a hot summer day for an hour, open it up, and the dog is so happy to see you. If I lock my wife in the car, not the same experience when it's over. <laughs> Treat your customers more like your dogs. That's probably a bumper sticker you should probably make uh, uh, starting soon. Yeah. <laughs> Next year sometime when we're back in stores and you're back out uh, talking to large audiences, as a customer yourself, is there a customer service experience that you're most looking forward to doing again? I think people love interacting with people. People miss talking to people. But all of this, you know, delivery and curbside service and touchless digital systems, they're not going away. As a matter of fact, what the pandemic did was push us three to five years into the future. So if this had never taken place, what we're experiencing right now is what we would have been experienced, you know, five years from now. So if it's next year or the year after, I think what's going to happen is a hybrid experience. I'm going to love to go to my favorite stores. I'm going to love that they're going to keep me safe with touchless checkout and minimal contact. That's all going to be there. But it's not because of just medical reasons. It's because of convenience, because it's easier to do it that way. You know, one of my favorite restaurants down the street, I've been ordering, you know, lunch from them for years. They never charge for delivery until the pandemic. Then everybody started charging for delivery. But you know what? I'll pay the money. It's worth it. And so we're going to start to see the hybrid experience of what we used to have, what's happening right now, and it's it's all going to come together and it's going to create a better experience. It's going to give us choices. We get to choose how we want to do business. If you'd never bought anything online before and you started buying online now and you got comfortable with it, you're going to say, wow, this is easy. You think you're going to stop doing it when the stores open again? No, you're going to do both. <laughs> 
Uh, Shep Hyken is a customer service and experience expert, an award-winning keynote speaker, and a best-selling author, and the chief amazement officer of Shepherd Presentations, which proves if you make your own companies, you get to come up with the best job titles. Uh, Shep, thank you so much for coming on Remote Space. Well, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.